Okay, we are in the Gospel of Mark this evening. Welcome, everybody. Uh, let's go ahead and do the announcements right quick, Colton, and then we'll do let's prayer do at the very end. Let's see, we had new, new members this past uh, Sunday. Taylor, Brianna, Zane, is it Zion? Zion. Zion yep. and Zeke, Wayne Grude. Yep. So, um, hallelujah for that. Absolutely. Our youth are back, and everybody's safe and sound, and had some wonderful things happen on the youth trip, so I've been told, which is wonderful. Hey, be sure to ask them how their trip went. I yeah. think that would be cool if you guys asked them, because uh, they were really passionate when they came back. I was, like, out in the foyer when they started coming in, and they were just all, like, crazy and excited, so mm-hmm. you should ask them how it went. Yep, I've heard. It was just incredible. Yeah. First time in three years. I think you pointed that out. First time in three years that we've been yeah, And that's highly unusual because, I mean, summer camp for Baptist churches, that's typically just a, a staple thing that, that, that you always do. So this is highly unusual to not go uh, We years. had, I think we can report this. There was a salvation uh, in our the one that told me. Camp. So go right ahead. Yeah. Yep. Amen. Yep. That's worth clapping over. But man, that is, that is it. Absolutely. Getting the cold chills is awesome. Yep. So don't, uh, also this weekend we have a construction mission trip going to Cincinnati, Ohio to help a church up there. Uh, uh, Bill Lunders, I believe, is the one coordinating that. Uh, remember the men's weekly Red Zone Fellowship will meet at the Smyrna Bowling Center at 8 a.m. And that's on Thursday. Where are you, Walter? That's Thursday now, right? Not Friday, but Thursday. Okay. You're just breaking traditions, man. It's just hard for me to stay with them. It's just hard for me to keep up with you. You know what I mean? No, I'm, I'm just messing with you, man. Right, I understand. All right, Father's Day is coming up. Baby dedications on that day, so that'll be great. If you have one you want to dedicate, please get the information to Carol so we can get that uh, done for you. Really tonight. They need it by tonight. By tonight, yep. Uh, senior adult event, The Adventures of Huck Finn. If, if that's on here if you're interested in that. And then yep. Vacation Bible School is quickly, quickly approaching. My goodness, July the 11th. How I know. long is that? I know. It's How many not weeks long. is that? I mean, that's like, one, two, three, four, five four weeks. weeks. Five weeks. Five weeks. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we're really going to be tired after that. Amen? In a good way. It's a good in tired. In a good way. That's right. Yeah. All right. So, Mark, let's dig in. So, can I just tell you something? Mark. No. No, you can't. I'm, I was reminded today, Mark is my favorite gospel by far. It's just so... Why? I, I just, I love, I just love the fast-paced, mm. just approach. The fast pace. I love that Jesus just is like on the ground, like with the people. Mm-hmm. And you see that in every gospel. Uh-oh. Something happened. Battery. Check, check. Oh, there we go. Uh, you see him on the ground with the people, with the tax collectors, the sinners. Mm-hmm. He just gets the, you know, Pharisees anger than a beehive, you mm-hmm. know, just, it's awesome. I, movement, I movement, it. movement, movement. And I love, I love, and we'll point this out, but I love that he, often the people, the way they respond to Jesus and his teaching and his miracles and all this stuff is, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, they're amazed and they're like, we've never seen anything like this before. So I don't know. It's just, to me, it's. The humble servant who's yet the, the powerful king who ushers in the kingdom. You know what I think? I think it's whatever you're studying that week is your favorite part in the Bible. That's what I think. Maybe. maybe I think that's, maybe you've who, got who the... votes on that? You might vote on that. <laughs> who votes on that? Hey, you know, but Philippians is my favorite book. <laughs> Luke, right? Luke, <laughs> always Mark. Always Mark. No, I don't know. It doesn't matter at all. It you doesn't. Don't mess with you. They're all my favorite. I love the way you love the Word of God, man. That's why I love serving with you and Clayton. It's just great, and everybody here that's, that serves. All right, so the Gospel of Mark. Here we go. I found some pretty pictures for you. Uh, I found that one. That was my favorite one of all the ones I found online. How do y'all like that? It's, it's pretty nice, picture. isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah. Then there's an old picture of Mark. Now, if that little pedestal is how they used to like look at the Bible, I thought that was kind of interesting. 
I can't give you a, a context on that. I just, I just grabbed two or three interesting pictures and put them out there for you. All right, so the background of Mark. How many chapters are in Mark? 16, 16 yes. So it's the shortest gospel chapter-wise, right? So the four gospels deal with the same basic material, and the first three are called what? Synoptists. Sin, meaning together, and opsis, meaning a view. Thus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptists, giving like view, while John relates the divine aspect of our Lord's life. Now, uh, Stringfellow's done a great job at explaining this the whole time, that the differences in the uniqueness of, uh, the uniqueness of each gospel. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke being the synoptic. We call them synoptics, synoptic yeah. gospel, not tists, but that, it doesn't matter. Yeah, either and, way. Then, and then John is more of the uh, dualistic light, dark, and so forth. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, really absolutely. fascinating that God, that, that the Lord gives us four expressions uh, of the gospel that all harmonize uh, beautifully. You know something else that hit me, though? What hit you? I feel like that Matthew and Luke are your more specific gospels, mm-hmm. and then I feel like Mark and John are your more theological gospels. Hmm. I don't know. I, again, you, you can check me on that. Read the Bible, you know? So, But I, I, I think that it just hit me today that it's just... Yeah, jam-packed full of theology. I love your thoughts. Okay, so Mark, known throughout Scripture as who? John Mark, that's right. Wrote for the Romans primarily. So he's trying to communicate with Gentiles for the most part. So John was his Jewish name while Mark was his Roman name. He was a Jew, the son of Mary. We see that in Acts 12 too. He was a companion of Paul on some of his journeys. He was a learner and a close companion of Peter. It is believed that Peter won Mark to the Lord and that Peter's style and influence is seen throughout this Gospel of Mark. So let's look at 1 Peter 5.13 and that's the proof text that that he gives us. And whenever you hear the term proof text, that just means that somebody has made a claim in a, in a statement. And then uh, uh, scripture is given as evidence to that reality. So he's saying that 1 Peter 5, 13 is evidence of that. So let's just look here. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. And who else calls someone their child? I think it's Paul and uh, Timothy. Right. So probably referring to his spiritual son. Spiritual birth, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, did y'all get that, the way that's used? If somebody, if in the Bible, if somebody calls him my child, a spiritual child, probably not literal yeah. uh, child, or what, what's the term? Biological Biological, child. there yeah. it is. All right, so Mark, Mark presents Christ as the servant. Mark presents what Jesus did. That's what Colton was saying he liked so much about the gospel, was just, just constant action all the way through. I, I literally had a seminary professor that said, and I like the way, I mean, I know he wasn't saying theologically, but he said that, that Mark was like the Indiana Jones of the Gospels. Right. You know, it just starts off with action, and the action never stops all the way to the end. Yep, absolutely. So, yep. So the, work, the works of Jesus proved who he was, is in the Gospel of Mark. Something's echoing out there somewhere. That's a, is that me? Uh-oh. Is that? Are we too close? I don't know. You want to try it again? Get close. Hello. 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 Oh, yep. I hear it. That is what it is. <laughs> Maybe we need to Just get away from it. Go back to COVID distance. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Microphone. <clears throat> All right. So there is no opening genealogy, as in Matthew. Did you notice that? 
Luke has a genealogy, Matthew has a genealogy, but Mark does not have a genealogy. Okay, so that's interesting. Mark reaches in chapter 1 what Matthew takes eight chapters to cover. I thought that was an interesting thing to I point thought that out. was so interesting. Really interesting yeah. to point out. Yeah. So I, you're asking, my, my favorite gospel has always been Matthew. Yeah. Uh, Matthew was one that I cut my teeth on. Mm-hmm. Um, it, just, it was just those opening hours of salvation, mm-hmm. just for whatever reason. I, I, I guess it was just because it was the first gospel in the New Testament. Yeah. And I, I read it all the way through in like a day. And yeah. it was just like, I mean, I just couldn't put it down. The you know, fresh, so. rich mercies of God mm-hmm. were flowing in for the first time. And yeah. it was, you know, just the, the joy of being a new child in the faith and reading That's it. about it. So mine goes kind of like Matthew, John, Luke, Mark. Yeah, my, my second one would definitely be John. Okay. Yeah, my, and then Luke is my least, actually. But maybe you'll change my mind as you walk through Luke. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. All right, so Mark omits much of what Jesus said. That's strange, but he he did for whatever reason. Mark gives work after work of the Lord recording 20 miracles in detail. The word euthios translated straight away or immediately or forthwith. How many, did y'all circle all the immediately's? Who circled some of the immediately's? None of y'all circled the immediately's. Did you notice how many were in there? I I circled them. Uh, Let's see, did you circle them? Uh, I, I have some of them. You did not circle them either, did you? No, I've got some of them underlined. So you, underlined. You underlined. Yeah, your, yeah. Who underlined them? Did you underline them? Okay, Dick underlined some of his. All right, so we got, let's see. One, let's see, before, just chapter one, I found one, two, three, four, five, six, six in chapter one. Anybody find more than that? In the whole book. There's 42 in the whole book. Right. So immediately, 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 immediately. Kind of like, you know, driving, 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 driving. And just a statement. We're going to get there. But just a brief statement and maybe just a little bit longer statement when we get there. But um, I think this really says something about the, the style, what, God, what uh, Mark was trying to say through this gospel. Uh, that, that the kingdom of God has come uh, and it is going to change everything. Uh, and it did. Really, it did. If you look at Roman society after the fact, and really, if you just look at where do hospitals come from? Well, they really came from the Christians, you know, and so many different facets of culture and society that were changed when the church was inaugurated through Christ. Uh, it's just incredible to see how the powerful kingdom of God ushered in by the powerful king, Jesus, changed so many things. And so I, I think, again, you know, because I had to ask myself the question, why is he using immediately so often? And in, in fact, in places sometimes, if you read it, it's, it, sometimes the word almost slaps you in the face. Because it's like you're, you're reading and it almost like interrupts the narrative mm-hmm. to say immediately. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, there it is again. And to me, it's almost as if Mark was saying, this kingdom, this Christ who has been promised from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, is now here. And it's, it's, it's coming like a crater uh, into the earth. It, it's, it's instant. It's immediate. So yeah. the feeling of, of the kingdom. Yeah. All right, your examples. Let's look at it. Let's, we got several of these. Let's just look at a couple. Matthew 1.10. In those, oh, I missed that one. Look at there. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John of the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, what happened? Immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, 
with you I am well pleased. Now, what, what, what do we use this passage? What, what critical doctrine? Do, yeah, who said that? Brandon. Brandon. When we, when we say we believe in a Trinitarian God, we believe that, that God is one God, but that God exists in three distinct persons. And who are those persons? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Well, we have been criticized from our existence for, for misreading that by certain groups, and it's just absolutely wrong. If you take the text just at a, at a normal reading, uh, and I believe that this is in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, I don't think it's in John, I don't think it is, yeah. but um, all of them say the exact thing. So right there when Jesus is baptized, you see Jesus, and then you see the dove coming, which represents what? The Spirit, and then you hear the Father's voice audibly, which is, which is him. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all three right there. So it's, it's clear as bell. Another place where you see visibly the Trinity at work is in Genesis chapter 1. Of course. You have the, the Spirit uh, hovering over the waters, the depths, the deeps. Mm-hmm. You have uh, the Father. You have the Son because he says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of interesting that you see the, the initiation of creation is initiated by not just the Father's movement, not just the Spirit, not just the Son, but all three. And then you see this new creation that's about to take place in Christ. It's about to begin in Christ. You see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit at work together mm-hmm. uh, to, to bring this about in unison. So I just, again, it's like, God's just awesome. <laughs> so. He definitely is that. Yeah. All right, then we see verse 18. I found that one. And immediately they left their nets, talking about the call of the fishermen, Simon, Andrew, uh, James, and John. And then there's several other in there, all in chapter yeah. 1. So the word occurs, somebody said, 40-some-odd times, 42 times in Mark, only seven times in Matthew, and one time in Luke. So, so theologically, Mark is saying something very specific on the, on the rapid, uh, the, the, the transpiration of these, uh, did I say that right, transpiration, is that right? Mm-hmm. You're just pulling a Shakespeare. Transpiring, a yeah. yeah in I the like rapid it. way that these yeah. things are transpiring. Okay, 42 times. All right, the awesome. central message, you've heard this before. We, we would say serve instead of minister to, but the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. Dr. Stringfellow used the King James, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But to minister and to give his life as a what? As a ransom for many. Right, so Jesus came not for people to minister to him, not for people to serve him, but for him to serve others. And you see that you see that same pattern in the New Testament when Paul says we are to equip the saints for works of service. Yep. So, so he is Jehovah's servant. Jehovah's servant. Philippians two seven and eight. Uh, this 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 passage. This whole chapter in Philippians chapter two is wonderful. Amazing. Uh, it, it really is. Matter of fact, let's just go there. Put your take your ribbon and put it in Mark. And then flip over to Philippians for just a second. Have a little Bible drill tonight. I'm there if you want me to catch it, read it. You're there already? It's my favorite book, man. Man, you, just, I get there you must have had a tab on it. <laughs> you had a tab on it, didn't you? No, no. Okay. Just, yeah, you did. Just the grease stains are more prevalent there. <laughs> That's right. You got it dog-eared. That's right. All right, go ahead, yeah. And now we're in seven, right? Start mm-hmm. in seven. Um, yeah, chapter two. Let's see, let's start in six. All right who though he was in the form of God, did not account, account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found 
in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Mm-hmm. So what's the whole point of that? He came not to be served, but to serve, give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, what's, what's the, the incredible truth wrapped up in that? He's human, absolutely tied up in that. Brandon, go ahead. Yeah. Without any ulterior motive. Yeah. Definitely. I, I, the, the thing about it that I, that I love to think about is, is, is when he said, do you not think I could call a legion of angels, you know, to come? Yeah. You know, you think about Jesus, you know, being God and, and having access to all authority in heaven and on earth, as he says in the end of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. But yet he allows himself to be sent in human form. He allows himself to be ill-treated. He allows himself to be, to be beaten. He allows himself to be betrayed. I mean, these are all things that Jesus knew was going to happen to him. I mean, I mean, he knew what he was going to go through, but yet he submitted to it and did it at the Father's will. I mean, that's just mind-blowing uh, to me. And, yeah. that, that's, and that's the example that we have out of Philippians is that we, as Christ left his place of honor and glory and came here to save us, we should leave our place of honor and glory and to go on mission right. and to try to take the gospel to those that don't know him. Yeah, I, I think this is, you know, probably, I mean, you can go extremely deep with this and to where, you know, maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but I, I think that you see something here that was, that God, the way he wove creation, the way he made things, and, and even actually, you could say, maybe even a component before creation, uh, something that was true about God himself, uh, the enjoyment of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to say that, that, that through service is honor, there's something honorable about serving, taking the lowly position, is something that was always true before we even got to Jesus. And, um, and I, I think that you see that throughout God's character, throughout the Old Testament. It's kind of one of those common themes that you see threaded all throughout. And then you see Christ represent it ultimately better than anyone else ever can and did. And he constantly tells his disciples, this is the way of honor. This is the way of the first seat. If, you, if any of you wants to be first among you, he has to be last. Mm-hmm. You know, he keeps telling them that. And he says, you know, the Gentiles and the Greeks, uh, they rule over mm-hmm. one another. Mm-hmm. But it ought not be that way among you. And I think he's saying something that's true about the way we were supposed to be. You know, part of, part of redemption, we think about redemption sometimes so narrowly. We think about the fact that Jesus came to save sinners, and he did. And he did that. He accomplished that. But what else did he accomplish? He's making all things new. Uh, he, is, he is making creation new again and, and, and bringing it back to the way it was supposed to be. And I think this is one of those principles that Jesus fleshes out in his incarnation that, that was something that was always supposed to be that way. Mm-hmm. It was always supposed to be a part of the natural creation yeah. um, in, in the perfect order of things, and certainly that got ruined by sin. And I think another, I think we may comment on this later, but you see this play out best, and it's my favorite structural piece, I was telling Shelby today, um, I think it ranges from like starting in Mark 8 and going to Mark 11, but Jesus predicts his death, and he does it three times. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Mark reports on this so specifically 
to say something again about the gospel. He, Jesus predicts his death, and the, the disciples always come back at him with the wrong response. <laughs> um, you know, Jesus predicts his death. Peter comes to him and says, that's not going to happen. Well, he's saying that because he's thinking about the worldly principles. Nationalism. Nationalism. The fact that you're going to be a king and we're going to reign with you. That's not going to happen, Jesus. And he's like, well, you're thinking about the world's principles and not my uh, principles and not what I came to do in my mission. And he says it again in the... The, apostles, or the disciples all start arguing about who's the greatest among us, right? And then you get to the third uh, you know, proclamation of his death that's coming, and then James and John aren't bold enough to go to Jesus himself and to say, like, hey, can we sit at your right and your left, you know, when you're reigning and ruling? They get their mom to do it, right? <laughs> their mom's like that's the right. proxy. You know, they're not even brave enough. So, that's right. Um, so the worldly principle is we've got to have the power. We've got to rule. We want to be on top. And Jesus said, if you want to access that, that honorable position, you access it through service, through dying to yourself, just like I've come to model and do for you. Yep. So, Excellent. Yeah. All right, structure of the book. Uh, sanctification, that's the introduction one to verse 13. Service is the larger, and obviously that's one of the primary themes that, that uh, God is, is giving through the gospel of Mark, which is chapter one, verse 14 through uh, eight, uh, verse 30. Then sacrifice, 831 through uh, ver to chapter 15, and then resurrection and ascension, which is the final chapter in 16. So it's very, very the break the breakout of this of this gospel is very simple: sanctification, service, sacrifice, resurrection, and ascension. And then he gives us some clusters of chapters under each one of those. Okay. All right. So the introduction, sanctification, chapter one, verse one through verse 13. So Mark, he wastes no time. Introducing Jesus, does he? I mean, gets right to it. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the who? So the Son God. of God, yes. Amen. Notice Mark does not present the beginning of Jesus, but of the gospel. So this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then the four voices announce the Lord Jesus, okay? One of them is Mark, Jesus Christ. Verse 1, Mark announces Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is one you need to get planted in your, in your brain, we are there right now in what gospel on Sunday mornings? Luke. You whispered it. Luke, be, say it boldly. Luke. Say it boldly. Luke. Luke. <laughs> all right. I, I, <laughs> all right. Um, Isaiah. Okay. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. What chapter of Isaiah? 40. Very good, Tony. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Okay. The next one is verse 7 who fulfills Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. Who is that? John the Baptist, mm. of which there's one coming mightier than I. And then God, and we just looked at that in the Trinitarian view at the baptism of Jesus, thou art my beloved son. So we've got Mark, uh, who we know the, uh, the testimony from him came from Peter, uh, who had intimate knowledge of Jesus. Next, we had Isaiah, which is the Old Testament uh, testimony out of Isaiah chapter 40. Then we have John the Baptist, the one that prepares the way. Basically, I mean, coming in, in the type of an Old Testament prophet, but yet preaching New Testament fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And then finally, who? God the Father. Yes, my beloved son, who I am yeah. well pleased. I had not thought about the four voices. I thought that was really yeah. cool how he said I've never that. Heard, I've never heard anyone... Uh, Talk about that like that. Yeah, man. That's very, yeah. That, that, I think that's a la Stringfellow. Yep. Or some commentary from 50, 60 years ago. That no one's going to dig up. That no one's going to dig <laughs> so up. So it's right. That's right. 
So this one, the beginning of the gospel, is thus introduced and immediately was tested. So notice verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him where? Into the wilderness. Where was John preaching? The wilderness. Isn't that, that, those themes, isn't that interesting? You know, something else occurred to me the other day. Yeah. It's very interesting to me that for their entire lives, both of those men were basically in rural settings. It hit me. I was driving around town yesterday thinking about it. Neither one of them grew up in the big city. Do you realize that? Both of them were, I mean, where did Jesus grow up? Nazareth. Farming community about as rural as you could get. And then John, where did he grow up? The wilderness. I mean, yeah. east around the Jordan area. So both of these incredible miracle boys did not grow up in Jerusalem. They grew up in the outback. They grew up in rural areas. Now, why would that be? Because country boys are the best. <laughs> country boys can survive. Is that what yeah. it is? Hank Williams Jr.? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a number of reasons. Fulfilled prophecy, obviously, is mm -hmm. part of it. Yeah. But, but I think that um, uh, uh, mystery, uh, isolation, protection in Jesus' case, yeah. uh, and probably to keep them cleansed away from the, from the poison right. of the theology. Because we know that, that Jerusalem was a wreck. We know that Judaism was a wreck theologically. Yeah. And so I think it gave them a brand new... They, when, they, when they came on the scene, other than in the past, what they had heard about him, there was yeah. really no, no other story there other than the carpenter's son and the, the miracle birth son of Zechariah. That was yeah. it. So they come on the scene with kind of a fresh slate preaching. Well, and I think, I think what we've hit on a little bit in one of your sermons, you know, if Jesus would have been in the metropolitan area, you know, in Jerusalem, the people would have gone after him and killed him early. Probably. Right? Because Probably. he's like, he's, Probably. He, he was already astounding the teachers when he's 12. Mm -hmm. He's like, do you guys not get this? Like, come on. Like, this is easy. You know, and they're just yeah, let like Herod, Let Herod know, you know we found him. Let, you know, whoever the Herod Absolutely. was at the time. Let him know yep. we found him. Yep. Could be. Uh, verse 12, the spirit driving to the wilderness. And then what happens to him in the wilderness, by the way? Tempted. Now, <clears throat> just to spend just a second on this, because it's 630. We've got to move or we're not going to get oh, finished. Goodness, yeah. Um, 40, how long was he in the wilderness? Okay, and was it at the beginning of the 40 days and 40 nights or at the end? It was at the end. It was at the end of 40 days and 40 nights. So Jesus had basically fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So he was at his, like from a human's perspective, could you imagine 40 days and 40 nights without food? And that's when Satan came and tempted him. Turn these stones into bread, cast yourself down, worship me, and I'll give you all the worlds as your inheritance. And just one other note so on that. So he was really tempted. Absolutely. And it's a, it should be incredible to us. The first Adam failed in a paradise. The second Adam in the wilderness. succeeded that's good. in the wilderness. Hey man, that's you know? I love <laughs> that. Like, that's great. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, Adam certainly wasn't starved. I can tell you no, that when all that no, happened. No, no, no. He was living. He was living high on the on, on the, the hog. hog yeah, yep. or not the hog. Definitely not the hog. Well, the paradise. Yeah, the yeah, paradise, yeah. yeah. So, all right. So the ministry of Jesus in Galilee begins by his preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Mark one fourteen and fifteen. He selected four to become the first of the twelve in one sixteen and twenty, and he taught the people. Were when he taught, he taught the people were astonished. He taught his doctrine. He cast out demons. Fevers were healed. 
Invalids were cured, a leper was healed, and the people were amazed at his authority and his fame spread through Galilee. So all of that, I mean, it is just like on hyperdrive in chapter 1 where we go from the preaching of John the Baptist all the way to Jesus beginning this, this rapid healing ministry and seeing the crowds just, <clears throat> just rush toward him with everything he's got going on. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You see in Mark 1, 22, and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Mm-hmm. And then you come to chapter 2, and I love this. Their response to his healing the leper and, um, and well, and actually pronouncing him forgiven of his sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Yeah. I mean, so the people are amazed yeah. at Jesus. Yeah. So. Yeah. And again, the, remember, remember this too. This is always an interesting point. I can't remember it was a seminary professor pointed out a long time ago. The, if you remember, what happened around the time of the Exodus? Remember the time of the Exodus with Israel? What happened around, like when the Exodus finally happened and Israel left, what, what, what provoked that? The plagues, right? The, all these miraculous plagues. So, so the, the crucifixion in Jesus' life the whole, the whole like, thing that God is trying to use to jar their memory with to let them know that Jesus is the Messiah is that you see all these miracles happen at the Exodus, and now we're seeing what happened now with Jesus. Miracles. Miracles. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the miracle working that, that is supposed to help the Jews understand that this is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, to call them back, to let them see, point back to the Exodus because... What was the animal that they sacrificed in the blood they put on the post? What was that? An unblemished lamb. So Jesus comes as the lamb of the God to take away the sin of the world. So, all right, so service. Chapter 2 brings quick reaction from the scribes. I think you just talked about that. Yeah. From the Pharisees. So what do the scribes say in chapter 2, verse 7? What do they say? Yeah, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? The Pharisees, verse 16, what do they say, Colton? In chapter 16, 2, verse 16. One second. Um, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Yeah. And, when his, and he says, those are well have the need of a physician, but those who are sick. Yeah. I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. That had to burn. Yeah. And then the perfect answers, we just talked about those, verses 8 and 11 and 17. So, so we see this, we see the, the tension building in the gospel already, okay? So he taught, I've already, why, did I, why do I have that in there 10 times? These two chapters are examples of the mighty works of the master while in chapter 3, he ordained the 12 and faced more opposition, taught in parables in chapter 4. So the remainder of this part of our structure of the book is an accounting of his work with the disciples, more miracles and more opposition. Did I, did I put that in there like 10 times? What did I do? Okay. Such miracles revealed the, identi- the identity of Christ the light that had never been witnessed before on all the earth. I think you pointed that out, Colton. So this was truly the who? The Son of God. So the people flocked to see and hear the healed, the thankful, and the blessed all applauded him. They loved him. There's just a a great momentum that is building up in in Jesus' life. I have no idea why that panel is in there 8,000 times. You just love it, man. I did not do that on purpose. I don't know how that happened. I must have like copied it and not known it. Uh-huh. So then the light dims, and the scene changes very suddenly. Just after Peter tells Jesus, Thou art the Christ, 
the Lord began to teach why he came. And the change is sudden, and it's here that the Lord has the cross uppermost in his mind. The Lord says in 831, so let's go to 831. So we're a few chapters ahead of where we were. 831. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And uh, Dr. Stringfellow pointed out that you don't see that terminology used in the other, in the other synoptic gospels openly and plainly. It's just pretty interesting that he, that he caught that. I've never caught that before yeah. for sure. Oops, sorry. Then the scene... The scene changes from servant to what? Sacrifice. Because where is he going? He's going to the cross. Yeah. He's going to the cross. Okay. There it is again. So I have no idea why that's in there so many times. Repeatedly from our Lord's lips, the cross is mentioned. And he asks us to look up three passages. Mark 9, 12. And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. Just to check what... what, what book of the Bible is that found in? All right, go to Malachi right quick. It's very important. This needs to be systematic in your minds. Systematic, that means when it's asked a question, boom, your brain should pop it right out. So when this, when this question is asked, Elijah does come first to restore all things. If you look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you who? Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Who does Jesus tell us that Elijah was? John the Baptist. <clears throat> and we know that from the typology in, in the description of Elijah it, the, the, the hairy garment that he wore, the belt around his waist, how he lived was kind of out in the, in the desert regions, like a lot, and that John the Baptist lived the exact same way. Okay? Yeah. <clears throat> so Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Okay, the next one. <clears throat> 31. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, what happens? After three days he will rise. So he tells the disciples this over and over and over. <laughs> All right, and then Mark 10, 32 and 34. Colton, why don't you read that? Yeah. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. Yep, and that's the he third time. Yep. So three times, if you want to mark these, uh, the first one is chapter 8, verse 31. The second one is chapter 9, verse 31. 
And the third one is the one that we just read. So three times he specifically tells the disciples that he is going to Jerusalem to sacrifice himself for the sins of humanity. What do we call that week when he comes into Jerusalem, by the way? Passion week. Exactly. He comes in on what day? Palm Sunday. He's crucified on what day? Day of Atonement, right? Or or when all the lambs are are slaughtered during the Passover week, and then he raises from the dead. Hmm. All right, there it is again, Colton, your favorite panel. Okay, Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, Mark 14, 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. who's, Who's that talking about? The woman with the alabaster jar, right? <clears throat> she was a, it was an outpouring of love to him, but she didn't even realize it, that she's now anointed, anointing his body for, hmm. for crucifixion. Okay? <clears throat> Mark 14, 24 and 25. And he said to them, this is the Lord's Supper. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So, sacrifice. Instead of a throne, Jesus knew there would be a what? Yeah. From chapter 11 on to the cross in chapter 15, Mark vividly portrays the events differently than do Matthew and Luke. Now, this is something that I have not studied Mark as deeply as I have studied Matthew, Luke, and John. And I I don't know why that is. I I just, throughout my life, I have gravitated to the longer gospels. Yeah. This is something that was very helpful to me, yeah. uh, what, what, what he points out here. <clears throat> For example, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew is 97 verses in length, while in Mark, it's how many? I mean, that's a pretty tremendous difference. How many verses is that? Yeah, 60 yeah. verses. I mean, that's, that's a lot. There is an absence of indictments in Mark's such as occur in the other Gospels. Indictments, and I'm assuming there he means like the woes to the oh, Pharisees. Oh, yeah, yeah, the woes to the Pharisees, yeah. And he kind of he fleshes that out. No denunciation of Galilee's impenitent cities. That doesn't mean that he didn't do it. It just means that Mark didn't put it in his Gospel for whatever reason. <clears throat> no condemnation of scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 23 and Luke 11, and other noticeable absences. And this is, I mean, I love the way he does He really makes you think, why is that? That's a great question. The omission of such judgments belong to a king, as in Matthew, and do not befit the servant aspect of our Lord as recorded by Mark. So Mark's whole thesis in his gospel is trying to show the servant side of Christ and not the king side of Christ. Do you all see what he's saying there? It's really interesting. He's just giving you a, a different perspective. Now, why did he choose that perspective? <clears throat> You'll have to ask God when you, you, know, when you meet him one day, yeah. and, and, and maybe, maybe he'll tell you. I, I don't know, but... Um, but, but that's, it's not for us. I mean, we can ask the question, but, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that he wanted the servant theme emphasized and not, right. the, not the king theme like Matthew did uh, or, or the human theme like, uh, like Luke did. Yeah, he didn't want to tell the same story or the same angle over again. You know, he wanted four angles, not, not three. Mm-hmm. So again, in like manner, no reference is made in Mark of the promise 
of the kingdom to the dying thief on the cross. That's, a, that's an interesting observation. No mention of his right to summon legions of angels if he so will. That's one of my favorite parts is when he said, I could summon, but yeah. you know, I choose not to. These two were attributes of a king, not of a servant. All right, now the resurrection and the ascension. Now, um, did any of you uh, catch on to the um, to where he points out about the um, the commission at the end? Did y'all pick up on that? What he's talking about there? What he kind of touches on here is textual criticism, and I'm, I'm not a textual criticism expert. Uh, th- those are like language linguistics that study the original languages and the original manuscripts and things of that, na- that, that nature. If you, look, um, <clears throat> if you look in your Bible, like in the ESV, you probably might not can see it up here, but there's a break in the paragraph, and there's some brackets right here. Does your Bible have something like that? And then it may say something like, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. Uh, there's a few places in the New Testament uh, where you have interesting things like this. I'll show you another one, one of my favorite ones. Go to John chapter 8 right quick. I think it's John chapter 8. Yeah, if you go to John chapter 8, you will see right there about the woman caught in adultery. You'll see some brackets there, and it says the earliest manuscripts do not include John 7, 53 through 8, 11. All all that means is that in certain places in the Scripture, the, the, the committees that put the Bibles together Wanted, wanted the believers to have the understanding that the earliest manuscript evidence that we have did not have this witness in it. That's, they're just trying to be honest and open with us. Okay? Yeah. And, so, and more, also just something to state on top of that, more textual evidence is not a bad thing. Correct. Some people think that, oh, well, there's just so many copies of the Bible. How can we, like, trust it? You know, well, actually, the textual critics, they see all of the consistency in those, in those hundreds of documents, those hundreds of manuscripts, and it helps them to line up the scripture more, more evidently and more uh, purely. And so that's what textual criticism is. Um, for most of us, it'd be extremely boring, um, good nighttime reading. But for, for some, it's exciting, and it's God's gifted them to be able to, to understand and to see how that's woven together. And they always say this... You know, we are profoundly encouraged in our faith by studying textual criticism. We're not discouraged. Um, so just to kind of put that in your tool belt as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was another one in there I was trying to look for you right quick. Uh, Those are the only two I knew. Yeah, there was one more in John. Uh, it was the healing at the pool of, let's see. We'll tell you just about 10 more seconds. If I can't find it, we'll move on here. Well, you know, Mark's the big one, right? Because he says that, you know, you'll get bit yeah, by here, here. serpents and... Right. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Yeah, go to, go to John chapter 5 right quick. <clears throat> in John chapter 5, there's one that's really interesting because I, I, I preached through the whole book of John years ago. And when I, and when I hit this, uh, it was really the first time that I had that I had hit something like this, and it was kind of troubling to me. So I did a lot of study on it, a lot of study on it. And I understood exactly, um, exactly why they, they footnoted it. But if you look at, at chapter 5, and let's see, uh, where do they footnote it here? Um, do you have in the bottom of your Bible, 
where it says some manuscripts insert holy or in part, waiting for the moving of the water for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons. Do y'all have that in your Bibles? Some of you, okay. In the ESV, I've got that footnoted. And so what that means is, is that when they were, when, when, the, when the committee, and, and most of the time, if you want to know who that is, in most of your Bibles at the very beginning in the preface, there will be several pages that will explain to you. Um, most of the time it gives you who, who was on the committee and things of that nature, but you can look to see that how they translated the translation style, the textual basis, and so forth. If you want, and, I, and I encourage everybody to read that, <clears throat> to, you know, to read that. But in this case, the reason why they footnoted that was because there was no other place, no other place in the Bible where there was a testimony of an angel going into water and stirring the pool for healing. So they thought that that was somehow, that somehow a, an addition had gotten into the text that didn't belong there, but they couldn't be absolutely certain about it, so instead of taking it completely out, they put it in the footnote. That's all that means. Doesn't take away from the fact that he was healed when he did nothing like that. It's just, it was just one sentence that they were not sure on, so it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So. So the bodily resurrection. Back to back to Mark now. Just trying to give you. Just trying to give you a little bit. A little bit more. A little bit more tonight. Yeah, we'll meet. Yep. So you know what we have to deal with as preachers, because when we come to the pulpit, we have to be. We have to be Confident. good. Good in our heart about mm-hmm. what we're fixing to preach. So, yeah. the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. Would you agree with that? Okay. Amen. Just a statement. Paul. In fact, Paul would say what? Yeah, that your your faith is pointless. Yes. If if the resurrection didn't happen, <clears throat> he, I if think Christ he, didn't raise. I think his exact words were that we were to be pitied of all people on earth if it was not true, because our it. faith would be in vain because we're still dead in our sins. Yeah, right here in First uh, Corinthians fifteen, fifteen, sixteen, and and so on. Let's see here. Yeah, you don't have the gospel without resurrection. Amen. You don't have the gospel that resurrection. Yeah, he says um, in 16, uh, chapter 15, in 1 Corinthians, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Yeah. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you uh, are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have, uh, have hope in this life only, we are of all people and most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as uh, by a man came death, by a man has come uh, also the resurrection of the dead. Yep, very good. Praise the Lord. So all four Gospels record the fact of the resurrection. That's a fact. Every sermon in the book of Acts is a message on the resurrection. Did y'all know that? Every one is a, is a message on the resurrection. Yet when we come to Mark 16, more argument is made over the last 12 verses as to whether or not they were a part of the original canon of Scripture and little attention given to the fact of the resurrection. First, the fact of the resurrection is given in Mark. The women, the angel, the stone, the report of the women to the disciples, as the angel said, the women were amazed and speechless in verse 8. Notice the Great Commission verse in 15. Here we do not hear a king say, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth, as in Matthew here in Mark, we see Jesus in Jesus' words that his disciples are to take his place and he will serve in and through them, much like the book of Acts teaches. <clears throat> Mark 16, 20, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. He is ascended Lord, the servant highly exalted, working in and through us. We are laborers together with God, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. 
All right, the last 12, since the last 12 verses are a part of the inspired scripture and has been given to us as such, there is little to argue or even discuss. My own opinion is that Mark's writings were all influenced by the apostle Peter. <clears throat> At the middle of this chapter, Mark had to write his own rapid-like account of the events from verse 9 and on. His quick transition from one scene to another is the style of Mark. The main point is the last verse, verses give hope, assurance, help, and comfort. They are a part of the word of God, except them as such. It's kind of how Dr. Stringfellow uh, feels about them, but I just will tell you there are many good scholars out there that question the validity of those verses, and that's all I'm going to say. So. Well, and I, I think one thing I'll add on to that is that it's in your Bible. Uh, read it. Know it. Mm -hmm. um, measure it against, you know, take, take in the whole counsel of God's Word. We're always taught that from Scripture. Uh, take in the whole counsel, okay? Not just, not just focusing, because what happens when you take one verse and you make it your whole theology. Oh, you don't, you, 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 miss, you miss the whole boat theologically. Well, and, and when you do that, you end up handling snakes in a service <laughs> because you thought that, like, <laughs> the only test of faithfulness was the fact that, you know, you got bit by a poisonous snake and you didn't die, right? Right. And I'm only faithful <laughs> if I, you know, if I get bit by a poisonous snake and don't die, right? So... Yeah, y'all have heard of snake handlers in, in churches, right? Y'all have heard of snake handlers? I, I am convinced that this... That this that this uh, commission in Mark chapter 16 is the reason why snakes are, are, are in church. It, read it. It says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, 90% now, of that's fine, okay? I mean, new tongues, I mean, I don't... I, I don't believe the Bible teaches that you have to speak in new tongues to be saved at all. Um, do we have the power to cast out demons? I absolutely believe, believe we do uh, in, in the name of Christ. And I haven't had to do Have any of y'all cast one out before? I'm just curious. Okay, awesome, Susan. All right, uh, they, will, uh, they will pick up serpents with their hands? I mean... Well, and you have one scriptural... Well, Paul... And it's not even the, like... Shipwreck, but I mean, that, he was not doing that on purpose. He got bit. Right. And then God preserved him. So, Absolutely. So, so that's problematic. And, and drinking deadly poison, I mean, I just don't. I mean, are we supposed to go drink poison to prove that we're Christians? No. Uh, they will lay their hands on the sick and they recover. To totally, totally. I'm with that completely. So there are yeah. just strange things about that passage. And that's, that's just where I'm going to leave and it. And could I'm it be the will of the Lord that you drink it deadly or you accidentally ingest some deadly poison and you live? Certainly he can do it that. Could, could so, be. It could be. Maybe that was it. I, you're making a joke. <laughs> so he, he was so, about to take you seriously. So, so yes, yes. I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. That's, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll research and, and all that. And, you know, all the, all the debate on that, I, I think if, if 16.8 is the actual textual ending of uh, Mark, which seems weird to us, that that would be where the gospel would end, just kind of like that. 
but I think that it, you know, some scholars would argue that kind of fits in with Mark's whole kind of interesting angle on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that these women kind of, they were leaving, you know, uh, leaving the tomb. They fled from the tomb. Here we have action again, right? I mean, they're, they're, it's kind of like a, a bold thing that's happening. They're fleeing from the tomb and trembling in astonishment and, uh, and they had, uh, that had seized them. And so it's almost like it's inviting us in to, you know, consider the story. And uh, I, I don't know, I just think it's neat. If, if it were to yeah. end there, certainly, uh, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to make some declarative claim that, you know, 9 and on to 20 is not Scripture. Right. I'm not going to make a declarative claim right. that it's, well, it's, I'm it's absolutely right. sure right. it is. Because we, we don't know. We don't know. It definitely very well could be. Right. But there are many, many great conservative scholars that question it. So that's, we're just trying to be honest with you about the text. That's all we're, that's all we're doing. Yep. So, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Probably. Probably. Maybe. That, that baptismal regeneration, is that what you're asking? Well, I mean, and, probably. and there's other passages, I think, that they would go to before this one to justify that argument about baptism. Probably Acts. And one, one thing my professor has said, you know, Acts and Peter, right, mm-hmm. when they say, what, what must we do to be saved? Mm-hmm. Um, Peter was not making a declarative claim that you had to be baptized to be saved. Uh, simply, I think in, the, in those days... Um, your salvation moment was just equivalent with your, this is your new birth. Like you've been saved and now you're going to get baptized. I mean, they just, it was synonymous in their mind. It wasn't like disconnected like we do today. You know, it's just, it was like, you're a new believer and man, it's time to baptize you. It's like the Ethiopian, right? It's like, there's water right there. Like, let's do it. You know, and it's, it's, it just made sense, you know, and I think today they, they take that way too far. Um, off of a few verses, and they, you know, we have a, a, a plethora of verses that show us that it's only by, and I know you weren't saying that, but I'm just defending that, 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 that Christ, the only way to salvation is through his death, his sacrifice for us, and, and trusting in that and his resurrection, uh, so, I'm, and, and that alone, uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. right. Yeah. What you say, Jack? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. 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 All right. Absolutely. Well, let's do these last questions. Time is just about up. All right. So, what are the first three gospels called? Synoptics. Very good. What is Mark's other name? John. John, boy, these are tough questions, aren't they? Well, and, and what, what was his, why was one of his names John? John is a Jewish man. Boom. <laughs> Tony, man, coming in strong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> to whom did Mark write primarily? Romans. Romans, yes. How does Mark present Christ? Servant, yes. What is the key word in Mark, the key verse? I came to... Serve, not to be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many. That's oh, my it. gosh. I didn't read the second half of that question. I put immediately. Did you? 
<laughs> We're weak. Hey, you know, the Lord can still use us. <laughs> hey, do y'all have choir practice tonight? Choir practice? Amen. Choir practice is happening. Okay, at 7.15. Hey, we've got a little time. But let's uh, oh okay. But let's uh, open your Bible up. Mixing it up. Okay. Well, well, I just wanna I just wanna like like read a couple of passages out of here before we before we stop for the night because this this has been a great read for me today here. What, what's the, the one of them that, that you mentioned to already? I love this verse. Yes. Open your Bible to, to Mark chapter ten, verse forty-two. If we could get this right. We wouldn't have any trouble in the church of Jesus Christ anymore. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10, verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, these are all his apostles, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Did y'all hear that? Hmm. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So is there an authority structure? Sure, there's an authority structure. But it's an authority structure with the heart. The heart of the authority structure is not ruling the heart of the authority structure is what? Serving. Serving. There should never be rivalry in, in a church because we should, try, we, we should be trying to do what? Outserve each other. And when we're trying to outserve each other, there's never going to be rivalry and dissension and, and power plays if all of us are trying to serve each other. It's when politics gets into the church is when you have problems. When we make it about the word of God and the preaching of the word of God and the building up of the saints, politics should be out the window. Because that, that, when, he, when he says that right there, like, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority. When, when you have people that are trying to rule over other people, it is only natural that you are gonna feel threatened by some, yes? Right, of course, right. Yeah. And that's why it's a problem. So, so, <clears throat> so that's why we have to look at each other. I mean, I mean, yes, I'm the pastor. He's the associate pastor. We have deacons. But, but at, at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. Amen. I mean, we do understand Amen. that, right? We yeah. are. I mean, I'm no better than, than you. You're no better than me. I'm no better than Colton. He's no better than me. Yeah. We are all equal. And this is where we go to get our instruction. And when we keep it that way, the church will grow because it will be miraculous and people will see it and they will be fascinated by it and they will do one of two things. They will either be completely repulsed by it because they want to be like the Gentiles or they will be drawn to it because they want what we have. And, and so. I think too when you get, I think there needs to be a distinction made between polit politics and governance, right? There's a difference. There, there has to be structure. Sure. Right? And there has to be, you know, Romans 13 is our famous passage we go to. I think it's like 1 Peter 3 as well. It talks about uh, submitting yourself to authorities and stuff like that. But there is a purpose. 
for governance, for authority, for that kind of deal. But even those, you know, would function best, again, I think, if they took on a servant mentality. We're here to, I mean, who do we love most in politics? It's the people who, who proclaim and they show it with their hands and their feet that they're a servant of the people, right? Mm-hmm. They're there to serve the people. We're here to serve you, you know, kind of thing. I mean, that's like one of the best slogans you can do, you know? And when they prove that they're not in it for you, we don't like them, you yeah. know? We, we get repulsed by them, right? Uh, unless we want to uh, jump on their bandwagon because we feel like that they're going to cater to the evil desires of our hearts, which certainly we see that in our day too. But, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, I think the church should not be found without having servant-hearted members in it who are trying to outdo each other in honor, right? right. Where's that verse? I'm, I'm trying, it's not computing in the it's, brain, uh, but outdoing one another I think in it's honor. Peter. Yeah, and, and, and loving one another in that way and serving one another well. Um, you know, we, we certainly have been stung by the political agenda that, that, that can creep into the church. Yeah, there was one more that I wanted to share with you all tonight that I absolutely, this is it. Oh, yeah. Go, go to Mark 9. This blew me away. I will, I will never forget reading this as long as I live. <clears throat> the healing of the unclean spirit in Mark chapter 9. Now, this this passage goes from verse 14 all the way to verse 29. And so there's this boy that that they're trying to, that the disciples are trying to to get this unclean spirit out of him. They've tried, they've tried, they've tried, they've tried. They can't do it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let's start in verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, because they don't want anybody else to to hear about their failure, right? Well, they say, why could we not cast out that unclean spirit? And look what Jesus says. And he said to them, what? This kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? Now, what's your first thing you think about? Should not that have been the first thing they tried? But yet, they didn't even try it at all. And I mean, I, I, to, to me, that was just a slap in the face because, because I, can, I, I know throughout my life, I have been one of these guys, I'm a get it done kind of guy, right? Yeah. We're just going to yeah. attack it Absolutely. and get it done. As soon as I hear something, I want to get it done, get it, you know, conquer it, overcome it, whatever. And that's the attitude they had. I mean, the disciples, it's, it's got this unclean spirit. Man, let's, whatever Jesus did, let's, let's, you know, do whatever. Hang him upside down, turn him around, throw him up and down, whatever. I don't, know what, I don't know what they did, you know. Throw water at him, whatever. None of that worked. And so they finally prayed, or, or Jesus says, this comes out by prayer. I'll share something with you uh, personally um, about, when did I tell you I had that, that anxiety attack, one of the worst ones I've had ever? Was that? Uh, it was like two, I feel like it was like, like a, a month ago. Or 
I felt like it was like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago or yeah. something like that. I, I have no idea what brought it on. I, I, I don't have anxiety, really. I've never had anxiety. But, but when I do have it, I, I, know, I know what it is uh, because it's just, it's just strange. I mean, I just feel weird. And I, and I had it. I have no idea why I was having it. I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know why. But um, the Lord really put it on my heart to fall on my knees one morning and go in there and pray to him. And I'm telling you, I, I prayed to him fervently for a good 30 minutes uh, this, this, this morning, right? like the next day after this happened, I, I hadn't been sleeping. When any of y'all have anxiety, you know, sleeping is just, it's it, one of two things. You either sleep too much or you don't sleep at all. And so I prayed, and I'm telling you, it was amazing that, that I was healed of, of the anxiety. I mean, the next day, I think I prayed and then thought about it and trusted, and then the next day, it was pretty gone, and I felt like a million bucks. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just a slap in the face to me to right. always be reminded, because I'm such a get-it-done kind of guy, we cannot, short, we cannot short our prayer life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We can't. I know it's hard because we're busy, we got kids, we got responsibilities, we want to sleep, we want to eat, and all this other kind of stuff, but we've got to remember to make time for purposeful, postured prayer. What I mean by that is, is that because I, I talk to the Lord, I mean, all day long, I'll, I'll say things to him and ask him questions and, you know, just have like conscious contact with him all day, but I think we as believers have to take, have to take some time every day to get in the posture of Absolutely. a humble servant on our knees before God in that position, clear our minds for a few minutes and just, and just, and just, just allow, allow the Spirit to begin to bring things to your mind that need to be dealt with in your life. And that's what I did. <clears throat> and, 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 and I could not remember, shamefully, I just confess that to you, I could not remember the last time that I'd done that. And I pray every day. We pray around right. meals. Right. We pray up here at the office. <clears throat> but just that, that, that quiet room, that private room that Jesus said, go into your closet and pray, uh, that, that was one of those moments that I had, and it was just you know, totally freeing. And it's funny because you hear people say things like, uh, you know, I heard a statistic that uh, Thomas Jefferson had, he had less information in his lifetime than, than our teenagers get in a week or, or something like that. Uh, they're exposed to more information, and certainly I think that statistic would be close for us as well. We're exposed to so many things. We've got the culture screaming in our heads. We've got the phone, you know, shouting videos at us, and we've got those mental images that are imprinted there, and we've got so many things that are swirling around in the old noggin. It's like we never, you know, you, you can't expect. I love that you said the, uh, a prayer, kind of like almost like a prayer position. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't want to make too much of, uh, out of that. But right. I simply want to say, or a prayer posture. I like posture. that word better. Yeah. Um, because I think we have to align our hearts. We have to take some time. And man, it's, it's, it's the one resource we have so little of. But I think that we would, we would find our day lining up so much better and I mean in the Lord, if we, if we got on our knees, or, or you, and you don't have to get on your knees, I'm just metaphorically saying that. If we really seriously took some, some time and, we just, and we, we just allowed the voices to calm down, all the, all the things, the lists we've got to get done, all that junk, just let it kind of like flush away 
and just to, and maybe it, it takes you meditating on a, a verse mm -hmm. for a minute to let it scream louder than the, than all the other things that are urgent on it, pressing on your time. And just, if it's 30 minutes, if it's 20 minutes, just to sit there. Cause, mm -hmm. cause here's the thing. I'm like you, I'm praying, I'm praying multiple times in different parts of the day, mm -hmm. but I don't know how often I get those moments just to sit and quiet and escape right. everything and pray. And I don't think, I really don't think until we get serious with that, uh, we're not going to see a movement of the Lord like mm -hmm. we, we so desperately want to see. Well, yeah, I agree. And I think that that scripture is kind of what provoked that in me. Right. It's, it's just amazing. I mean, I, I read this, this account, I mean, 20, 20 years ago, I, when I first got saved, where well, it was longer than that, at First Baptist Greenville, I was reading through Mark for some reason, and I came across it. I'm like, I can't believe they didn't pray first. Right. <laughs> I mean, how simple is that? Yeah. Pray that the unclean spirit be removed. Yeah. So, all right, let's uh, prayer now. We've got to move on to prayer here. Speaking of prayer, y'all, please remember Carol Gentry. Uh, Carol is having some severe, severe back problems. She, she needs our prayers. Um, and Robert as well. And Robert is having cataract, cataract. surgery. Yep. Yeah. You remember him? And we got Jeff Walker, a relative of Eddie and D. Dial. We got him highlighted here. Um, <clears throat> everything went fine with uh, with Angie's uh, aunt in uh, Greenville that I, that I had to go and oversee the funeral. I was out of town for a couple of days, but that went really good. We had about 40 come to the funeral, and so it was good to be with them. I know Angie just worked out. Angie was at camp, and so I had to go do it, but... Uh, it was, um, everything went great. Also remember uh, Bryant and Nora Angus and mm -hmm. their family and the death of their uh, daughter-in-law, Gretchen Angus. Okay. Um, yeah, please please keep them in your prayers. You may not see them around as much. They generally are, are you know, they're, they're shut in. And so, but please pray for them. That's um, right. Yeah. Okay, prayer requests over this side first. Any prayer requests? Yes. Patella, right? That's what you said, a patella issue. Yeah. And when is that? Friday morning. Your grandson. Okay. You're going to pray for us tonight, okay? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Anybody else over here? Yes. Shirley. Sorry to hear that, Stephen. Yeah. Anybody else over here? Yes, sir. Tomorrow. Okay. All right. Anybody else over here? Okay. This. Yes. Deanna. Yeah. You're fine.
Okay, so Nikki is the one that we're praying for. Okay, so she lost her best friend. Okay, gotcha. All right. Okay, anybody else over here? Okay, this side, prayer request. Yes, D. Okay, so that's Jeff Walker. Okay. And they're we attempting have, to help with antibiotics to see if that works. Okay, we have got him on the list highlighted on here, so we have got him down. Okay, anybody else? Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to acknowledge your presence tonight, God, the fact that you are here among us, that you dwell in us. Oh Christ, and uh, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the great promises that we have access to in you, Jesus Christ. The fact that you came and you inaugurated the new kingdom, the new covenant in your blood, and you purchased us, you redeemed us from our sins, Lord Jesus, and we are now richly blessed in you, O oh Christ. And, and I can't even imagine why we wouldn't want to take the time to, to, to sit and to just fellowship with you, Christ, in prayer, and to know your word, O oh God, and to have it richly bless our lives, O oh God, to be informed about the kingdom, to continue to remind ourselves about the truths in your word that are so encouraging to us. Lord, that we have access to, uh, to become new people, we have a new identity in you, Christ, and that we get to be ambassadors for your kingdom. We get to be your representatives in the world, and, and Lord, I, I feel like in these days, sometimes we do that, we don't do that very well. And God, I just pray that you would help us, give us courage. Lord, I know for many people, sometimes it can be scary interacting with others in the world. And uh, Lord, I know that people are, are so eager to get back to their homes and their AC and, and not really to interact with others. And God, I just pray that you would help us to be intentional, mm -hmm. uh, to be bold in these days, oh God. I, I don't know when you're returning, Christ. Nobody does. And, and Lord, that, that can be an exciting thought and that can be a, a, an awakening thought as well, Lord, that we need to get serious about your mission. Lord, would you give boldness to your people? God, give boldness to me and Shelby and Clayton, Lord, and all of us in this congregation. And Lord, I pray one of the main themes I think that we just talked about so much from your word tonight is that we would be servant-hearted. Lord, that the first question in our minds wouldn't be, what can I get out of this, but what can I put into it? Lord, how can I serve my brother or my sister in Christ and help them in their desperate time of need? So often I think, Lord, we miss these moments in these, in, on this prayer sheet where people are really struggling and they need help and they need hope. And Lord, so often we're just looking for the next way to serve ourselves, to fill our bellies, to, uh, uh, to please the flesh. And God, I pray that you would help us to look to you, Christ, and to not set our hopes so low on, on the things of this world, oh Lord, not to gain this world that we might lose our souls, but to, but to gain you, Christ, and to give everything uh, that we might gain you, Jesus, Lord, and that might serve as the evidence of the fact that we truly believe and trust in you. And so, God, I pray that these things would begin to happen. I pray that as these things happen, this would be true revival, that righteousness rises up in the hearts of, of those who love you, Lord. God, I pray that your church would be as strong as it can be. Lord, I, I think so often we deny 
or, or we just don't even pay attention to the power we have access to in your grace. The fact that we have great power in your Holy Spirit, O oh Lord, uh, to serve others, to speak the truth of the gospel. Mm. Oh Lord, and I think that we're so reserved, we're so chained down by fear. Lord, what's holding us back, Father? God, we're so afraid of, of, of what? I don't understand it, Lord, even in my own heart, and help me to overcome the obstacles and the hurdles, oh God, that seem so big, and yet they're so small to you. Nothing is impossible with you, O oh Christ, and we've learned this already from, from the Gospels from the Gospel of Luke, there's nothing that you can't accomplish through your people. And God, I pray that our prayers would begin to become big. Lord, would you help us to be a light in this place? God, there are so many dark areas in Smyrna, Tennessee alone. Oh God, there's so much hopelessness, oh God. And, and, and again, we're just worried about what's coming in Amazon next week, the package we ordered. Lord, and when it's gonna get there and if it's damaged. Oh God, please help us to reorient our priorities. Lord, help us to repent over the things that we have coveted and the things that we have, we have cherished as, as greater and, and, and more uh, precious than you, Christ. And I pray that we would get serious about this mission because there are people outside of these walls, oh Lord, and you see it day in and day out that are dying and they're going to hell. And Lord, I pray that we would get serious. I pray that I plead with you, Lord, that we would begin to have a flame and a fire burning in our souls to go outside of this place and to see your name lifted high. Lord, I pray that. I pray that we would get done with the church games and that we would begin living uh, in power in you, Christ, in your word, and by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I do desperately pray for each person that was mentioned tonight. God, I can't imagine the pain that they're going through. God, I look at Carol, sometimes Gentry, and I, I just, it, it almost brings me to weep because she's in so much pain and you know if I could take part of her pain for all of her pain for I'd do it because Lord I, I just hate seeing a sister suffer and um, Lord I pray that we would find ways to help them uh, those who have constant pain I think about Cecilia Peach Lord who's just in constant pain and Lord you are so good and you give us hope that goes beyond our pain but I still struggle seeing them uh, go through it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a body to know how we can encourage and help them. Mm -hmm. Lord, I thank you for your grace. God, I just pray for comfort and healing mm -hmm. uh, for those who have been listed on this list. We love you, Jesus. Bring us back here faithfully next uh, for Sunday. It's in your heavenly name I pray. Amen. Amen. Bye. Good night. Good night.